the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The reason Nicodemus was troubled by Christ's words to him is because it had to do with his view of getting to heaven. He thought externals would get him to heaven. That's how the Pharisees operated. What he wanted to know is, Jesus, what do I have to do? What more do I have to do? I'm a teacher in Israel. What do I have to do to know that God will accept me? And what he meant was, what external religious ritual rule, legalistic observance do I have to do? Not to keep. And Jesus just looked at him and said, none of those you must be born again. We often hear people say, this born again business, that's not for me. I don't see any need for it. But Jesus said very clearly to a man who was by all accounts a very good man and a respected leader of his people, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, to whom Jesus said these words, wasn't just a good man. He was a religious leader, well-versed in the law and the prophets. So if Jesus told such a great and good man that he needed to be born again, then we must need to be born again too. That's the scripture that Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, will continue examining today on Verse by Verse. We're in the middle of a series of studies on key Bible doctrine words that look into the full meaning of some of the words that form the foundation of the Christian faith. We use many of these words, often without thinking too much about their real meaning. Or, we brush them off as dry theological words that are not important for laymen to understand. We tend to think that those are subjects that pastors study in seminaries and add very little to our understanding of God and His plan to redeem us from our sin. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. We need to know these words in all the richness of their meaning. Today's lesson is the second of two sessions on new birth. In the last lesson, we looked at several aspects of these words. Today, we'll take up the subject, is new birth really necessary? Here's Pastor Steve. Second question is, is the new birth necessary? A man once asked the great preacher George Whitfield why he always preached that you must be born again. He said, why do you always preach you must be born again, emphasizing the word must? And Whitfield looked at him and said, because you must be born again. And he was simply parroting the words of Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus said, do not marvel that I said to you, meaning Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's a necessity. It's a must. You have to be born again. There is an urgency here. You must be born again. Why? In other words, what he's saying is, Nicodemus, you want to know how you can get into the kingdom of God, how you can have assurance that you're going to be in God's kingdom. And that's how the, the Jew of the first century thought. Didn't think so much of heaven, but they thought of the kingdom. Okay? The kingdom. It's basically what he meant. How do I have a personal relationship with, with God? How do I know when I die I'm going to be in the kingdom? How do I know if I'm good enough? That type of thing. And Jesus cut through all of that and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You have to be born again. You can't even, uh, let alone enter the kingdom, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't, even, you can't even view it. You can't even have insight into it. Why? Why do you have to be born again? Because the physical life and nature we receive from our parents is corrupt. It's sinful. It's hostile towards God. Now, your parents may have been very nice people, but they carried with them 
a sin nature. They passed on to you a nature that is sinful inside, inside you, the life inside of you. Along with human life comes sinfulness, the flesh. Paul says you were just like everybody else. You were born into this world corrupt. You follow the prince of the air. He means Satan. You may not even believed in a personal Satan. It doesn't matter what you believed in. You lived that way. You lived by the lust of your flesh. You lived to fulfill the desires of the flesh and the mind. You were by nature children of wrath. That was your nature. That was my nature. All we did was, was sin. Now that doesn't mean that we went out and, and robbed banks and murdered people and did hideous things against society, but it does mean that by nature we were continually in rebellion towards God. Even if you were very charitable, you gave that charity, you gave money to look good or to appease your conscience and not to honor the Lord, and that's sin. It's wrong motives. Or you did nice things for people because you wanted them to applaud you and, and, and uh, you wanted to look good. That's sin. That's sin. So even if you did nice things and you weren't, uh, in your definition, a corrupt human being, you still, as far as God is concerned, was corrupt. I've heard uh, people say, well, I've never harmed anybody. That's really not the issue here about sinfulness. The issue is you've, you've offended a holy God. Whether you've hurt people or not is, is really not, uh, not the issue. The issue is God has given his word, his holy standards, and we have violated that. Without holiness, no man, no woman will see the Lord. No one. John 3.19, Jesus said, Men love darkness because their deeds are evil. Our deeds are evil. Even if they don't come outward in their evil manifestation, inside they're evil, and some of us just don't do certain things because we're afraid of getting caught. But if we knew that we wouldn't get caught, we'd certainly do it. So there's a sinfulness inside. Jesus said in John 3.6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. I mean, that's, that's all it is. Sin. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Paul writes, For those who are according to the flesh, meaning all, all humans who've never been born again, they set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. God. What he is saying is a contrast between those who have been born again, those who have received the very life of God, who are open to God, who are available to him, who want to please him, but those who are of the flesh, those who have never received the divine nature, they are hostile towards God. Hostile. Hostile. That's a, that's a frightening term and a frightening thought to think that, that we actually have animosity towards God. Now, we may not recognize that, and for 18 years of my life, uh, I didn't, until I came to, to Christ, I didn't realize that my real problem was I hated God. I hated God. I wasn't even aware of it. Hostile towards God. Now, the new birth is an opportunity to start all over again. That's what it is. To have a life that pleases God, that loves Him, that has the capacity and the desire to obey Him. Before you're born again, you do not have a capacity and a desire to obey God. You don't. You may do some religious things. You may have been baptized. You may have been confirmed. You may have gone through some type of ceremony. But there's no inward life of God that, that plants it within your heart to desire to obey Him, to honor Him. Not for the applause of men, not just because you, you love the Lord. Man's sinful heart and nature needs to be replaced by a new and holy heart and nature. That's the necessity of the new birth. Is it necessary? Absolutely. If you don't have a new heart... If you don't have a new nature, you will not go to heaven. 
You have to be changed on the inside. The reason Nicodemus was troubled by Christ's words to him, and, and he was troubled, is because he, he, uh, it had to do with his view of getting to heaven. He thought externals would get him to heaven. That's how the Pharisees operated. What he wanted to know was, Jesus, what do I have to do? What more do I have to do? I'm a teacher in Israel. I'm part of the most religious group in Israel. What do I have to do to know that, that God will accept me? And what he meant was, what external religious ritual rule, legalistic observance do I have to do? Do I have to keep? And Jesus just looked at him and said, none of those. You must be born again. You must be cleansed on the inside. Your problem is not outside. It's inside, not outside. Inside. A change on the inside, not the outside. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That's what he's telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you need to be a new creature. Now, let me just explain. Let's look at John chapter 3 again, because some are confused by this. John 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And some say, aha, there's water there. It must mean baptism. No, it doesn't mean baptism. He's referring in a Jewish context to a Jewish man who understood the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and uh, Nicodemus was very familiar with the fact that Ezekiel, I believe it's chapter 29, speaks of the cleansing, the cleansing of salvation. And that's what he's talking about. Nicodemus, salvation and being born again is like being cleansed by water. He's not talking about baptism. Nicodemus would not equate baptism with salvation anyway. He's not referring to that. There's nothing in the context that leads to baptism. So don't in, impose Christian baptism on this. It's far into the context. He's talking about the, the washing of regeneration, the, the sprinkling that would cleanse a person inwardly that Ezekiel 29 spoke about. So what is the meaning of the new, of the new birth? It means that God imparts his very life, his very nature, his, his, uh, a new heart to you. It's what God promised Israel in Jeremiah 31, which is yet to be fulfilled for Israel, but we enter into this new covenant in fact, that's what we celebrate this morning, the new covenant. God says, I'll put my spirit inside of you. Jeremiah 31, I'll put my law inside of you. I'll give you, a, I'll, I'll turn your hearts, hearts that are stone, to hearts that are obedient. It's a new heart. So that's the meaning of the new birth. Is the new birth necessary? Absolutely, because our hearts need to be changed. We're hostile towards God. And all the reformation and all the rituals will never change our hearts. Never. Just change us outwardly, but never inwardly. Third question. How can we experience the new birth? How can we experience it? It's one thing to know about it, but how does it become yours? How do you become born again? Let me put it in as simple terms as I can while I ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Jesus did not make this mysterious. So there is a mysterious element about it. Uh, Jesus didn't make it hard to understand. Not from the perspective of how to become born again. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. It's as if God drops his word into our hearts. When it's met with faith, you're born again. You're born again. This verse tells us that God uses his word to make us born again. The word of God is the means by which the spirit of God accomplishes the new birth in us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. James 1.18 says the same thing. In the exercise of his will, that is God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. The word of truth. He brought us forth. He made us alive. He made us born again. We were born anew by the word of truth. 
The Spirit of God does this. He takes the Word of God. Takes the Word of God to reveal Jesus Christ to you. And He reveals your need for Christ. He shows you that you're a sinner. He shows you that Jesus died for your sins. He shows you that the way to be reconciled with God is to trust Christ and His death for you with nothing else. Just Christ and His death and have confidence that that and that alone and Christ alone can save you for all of eternity. And, for, and He'll forgive your sins. And the moment you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, a miracle takes place. It's a miracle. It's called the new birth. It's a new birth. Let's look at John 3 again. Because Jesus went on to explain this to Nicodemus. And he explained how he could be born again. He used an Old Testament illustration from the book of Numbers, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpents in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. There was a time where Israel rebelled against the Lord. There were serpents that God sent in the wilderness, and they were dying from these snake bites. And God said, Moses, put a, uh, uh, put a sort of uh, a pole with a picture of a snake on, on top. And if anyone looks at that and just believes that I've said this, that they'll be cured by looking at it, they will be. And Jesus reached back into Old Testament history and said, that's, that's the same way it is with me. I'll be lifted up. I'll be put on a cross. And whoever looks to me and turns away from their sin but, and looks to me and trusts me as the, their sin bearer, they'll be saved. As Moses lifted up the serpents in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whoever believes may in him have eternal life. And then this leads into the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. How are we born again? By believing in the Son of God. Not simply believing that he died for you, as one would believe in, uh, in a historical fact, but by trusting in Christ's death for you. Trusting alone. Not trusting that your good works in Christ, because then you're really trusting your good works. Not trusting in your uh, religious upbringing in Christ, because then you're trusting in your religious upbringing. Trusting in Christ means that you can't trust in anything else to get to heaven. Only Him. Because He's the one who's dealt with your sins. Let's turn to Titus 3.5. Titus 3.5. Same, same truth. He saved us. It's after 2 Timothy, before the little book of Philemon. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. He saved you not by your good works, but only by his mercy based on the death of Christ. So our responsibility is to trust. God's responsibility is to impart life. John chapter 1 Verse 10, you don't need to turn there. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13 says that as many as received Christ, to them he gave the authority to become the children of God. Then it says that God willed it. It is the sovereign work of God. These who have been made, you who have been made children of God, been born again, you didn't do it yourself. You didn't make yourself born again. It was willed by God. He says, not of the flesh, nor of, nor of the will, but of God. It is God's will that you were born again. It's his sovereign uh, work of grace in our lives. He means of his own will, he begat us. Something that God does to you, it's not something you do. You cannot become born again of yourself. You say, well, how do I become born again? You simply trust the Savior. You trust Christ to be your Savior. And when you do that, God will give you his life. It's not something you do. Your responsibility is to trust him for your eternal destiny. That his death is sufficient. His responsibility, once you trust him, is to give you his life. And he does that, whether you feel it or not. Whether you have some little tingling that goes on inside of you or not, that is not the issue at all. Most of us have no tingling. But we know we're born again. 
No baby ever willed his own birth. No baby ever conceived himself. So our spiritual birth is the result, it's not the result of our own effort. But we are born by the Spirit of God. So first question, what is the meaning of the new birth? It means that God imparts life to us. You need a new life. And that comes into the second question. Is the new birth necessary? Yes, because you need that. Our sin will not allow us to see heaven. We're dead in sins. We need an inward cleansing. We need a new nature. How can we experience the new birth faith in Christ? Fourth question. What are the results of the new birth? What are the marks of the new birth? How do you know if you're born again? Let's turn to Titus. Titus chapter 3. What are the marks? Uh, when you're born again, is there something that happens in your life? I mean, do you, do you look weird? What, what happens? Do you, you know, you comb your hair a certain way? Do you wear certain clothes? Well, what's the mark of a new birth? Of the new birth? Well, there are a lot of marks, but, uh, but it all comes under the category of obedience, a new lifestyle, a change outwardly. A change that comes outwardly because you've been changed inwardly. Not a self-imposed outward change, but, a, but a, the natural result of being changed inwardly. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Paul says to Titus, remind them, the people you minister to, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gent- gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Now that's great. He said, Titus, uh, you tell your people to be different, that, that they're to be submissive, they're to be obedient, they're to be ready to do good deeds, they're not to be uh, malicious people, they're to be gentle, they're, they're not to... Um, to be contentious, they're to be just the nicest of people and getting along with others. That's the way believers are to behave. But notice verse 3. For we once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now wait a minute, he says, this is the way believers used to behave. Now what's the difference? How do you, how do you go from verse 3 in that behavior, and that's the way we all were, disobedient, foolish, slave to various lusts and pleasures, Malicious, envious, hateful. Now, we may struggle with that at at this time in our lives, even if we are born again, but it certainly doesn't characterize our lives. It's not our lifestyle. It's not where we want to remain. It's not the habitual lifestyle of of where we're coming from. But how did we change from verse 3? You get from verse 3, the old lifestyle, to verses 1 and 2, the new lifestyle. How can believers be expected to behave differently? Is Paul just telling them, hey, just sort of uh, do it on your own and, and, and be nice? No, you need a change of heart. And that's what he explains in verses 4 and 5. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is this, the new birth has cleansed us. Cleansed us like a good wash. And the renewing of the Holy Spirit has made us new creatures. In other words, we have been purified from our old lives and given a new life. One that has the capacity to obey and not to succumb to sin. The result of the, the results, I should say, of the new birth is that you have a new life. You ought to be different. You ought to be different. How different? Well, Romans chapter 6 says we walk in newness of life. We obey a new master. Sin is no longer the master of our lives. It, it interferes in our lives. It gets in our way. We have struggles, but it's not the master of our lives. Christ is the master. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, and I've mentioned this before, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You're new. You're different. You're becoming different. You have the capacity now to obey. Let's turn to 1 John. 1 John gives us some results or marks of being born again. There were some people in John's day who said they were born again. They were the true children of God. And John 
says, no, they're false teachers. They were really not one of us. And, and you can tell the difference between who's born again and who's not by their lifestyle. And he, he lists some evidences. First John 2, 29. If you know that he's righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. If Christ is righteous and you claim to know him and you claim to have his life within you, then John says you know that everyone who is born of him practices righteousness. Does that mean perfection? No. No. Does that mean that you always do what's right? No. But it means it's the desire and the general practice of your life. Righteousness. Well, what is righteousness? It's obedience to the word of God. The, the word of the righteous one, Christ. 1 John 3, 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin. It means he cannot practice sin because he's born of God. It doesn't mean that you're incapable of, of sinning. The one who is born of God practices righteousness. He does not practice sin. If you're a professing Christian, you claim to be born again, but the practice and lifestyle in, in your own conduct is sin and disobedience, and you are not born again, according to what First John says. You are not. No matter what your mom and dad told you, you prayed a prayer when you were young, you walked an aisle, you shook some pastor's hand, you threw a twig into the fire at some retreat, you are not born again if you do not have the marks of being born again or you have never had the marks of being born again. You say, but wait, what about carnality? Sure, carnality rears its ugly head at times, but you can't tell me that, that your whole life is carnal and claim that you're born again. That's abnormal. That's abnormal. That's not right. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If you are born again, then you love God and you love the brethren. There are, there are so many other places in the Word of God which speak about this, that we have new life. We're to be different people. And therefore, you must understand, those of you who may not know about Christianity, Christianity is not just a set of rules. Sometimes it's portrayed by people that way. It's what I do and what I don't do. It's not that at all. Christianity is a relationship with Christ, born of, of Him that issues out in a new kind of behavior. And I'll tell you, the results of being born again is that Jesus Christ and obedience to Him affects every area of your life. It affects your relationship with your spouse. It, it affects your job. It affects your, your relationship with your neighbors. It affects how you conduct yourself in recreation and the sports arena. It affects how you handle finances. It affects what you read. It affects what you watch on television. It affects what kind of music you listen to. It, it, it affects even how you, you look and carry yourself. The results of being born again is that you and I are to be new creatures. We are new creatures and we are to live like that. When you're born again, you live like a child of God, demonstrating that you have His nature by a lifestyle of obedience. Obedience to the Word of God. We don't want to sin against Him. We don't want to. Why? Because He's our Father. He gave us His life and all because of the cross of Christ. And so we come to that cross because the cross of Jesus Christ made this possible. You could not have been born again apart from Jesus Christ dying for your sins. God could not have cleansed you and given you his nature while you had sin on your record. It took the death of Jesus Christ. It took the Father putting our sins upon Christ and, and having him pay for our judgment of hell. The cross. The cross. So it's all related. It's all related. It's not a doctrine aloof by itself. Our sins had to be dealt with before he could cleanse us. Lord, I pray for those here who may not be born again. I pray that as they've heard what it means, they understand that they might see their need for Christ and embrace Him, trust Him. And I pray that you'll help us who are your children to live like your children, 
to not accept the world standards, but to live differently, to focus our lives around the, the words of the Master, the Bible, and the Master himself. Lord, we've come to remember you this morning. We pray, our Father, that you'll help us to, to do that with an attitude of great reverence and deep respect. But we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've heard Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's lesson was part of a series that will take us through some key Bible doctrine words and what they mean for us today. You can hear today's lesson again or explore the many other subjects on file at our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. They're available for free download. We would urge you to download this whole series on key Bible doctrine words and go over them a second time. They are so full of basic doctrine that hearing them a second time would help you get these concepts firmly embedded in your memory. They are thoughts that you will use over and over again as you move forward as a follower of Jesus. If God leads you to support the ministry of Verse by Verse, click on the Support Us box to find out how you can keep this program on the air. In the next Verse by Verse, we'll take up a word, probably the most misunderstood theological term in the Bible, predestination. It doesn't simply mean that everything that happens in life was foreordained by God, but rather it lays out for us the wonderful plan that God has for each one who puts his faith in Christ. I'm Jerry Pruden, inviting you to join us next time for Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.